Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney and joining me on the line with a big night tonight in the acting world <laughs> is Ethan Sachs. Yeah, it's the acting sports ball Super Bowl tonight. Sports ball Super Bowl <laughs> of acting. <laughs> yeah, the Oscars. Have you uh have you seen anything that's uh, up? Are you are you up on the Oscars this year? I'm not up on the Oscars. The, I think the only movie I've seen in theaters this year is Black Panther. Oh, wow. Well, this year as in like this calendar year. Oh, so like a, a Star Wars would have been the only thing from the last calendar oh, year? Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I've also have not seen a ton. I've only seen a handful of stuff. But yeah, I, I like the Oscars. Good night of television. Yeah. How's, uh, how's things with you? How's your weekend? Good. I've been an absolutely total bum. I've streamed a bunch <laughs> and I still have not done anything productive today. Great. Are you going <laughs> to stream today? Big, big plans. Yeah, I'm going to stream. Uh, need to do some grocery shopping. Need to uh, clean up the apartment, but there will be a stream later this evening. Excellent. You had uh, you had Sasha on your stream last night, right? Yeah, we got crushed. We went 020201. <laughs> not, our, not our best showing. <laughs> I only tuned in to watch him like having you draft this blue red aggro deck and you complaining the whole time yeah that was miserable never again never again <laughs> i swore never again and then he pushed me into it and now never again for real <laughs> i watched him like easily trophy with a blue red deck the other day um and so i was like maybe this deck is still viable but no i'm glad i'm glad to see that it crashed and burned well, i think part of that is that he's better at playing those style of decks than i am like i really don't excel at like maximizing the value out of my medium cards and i think that's something he really excels at yeah for sure so after those o2s where does that put your uh trophy leaderboard update so i'm at oh that's not factored in here so i haven't put those in so i'm before that i had 91 drafts 27 trophies 179 and 81 record with a 69 percent win rate and there should be a 3-0 added in there and then an 05 so like three and five that i haven't added in there yet so probably down to 68 percent or so i'm in like a one two slump so i was hoping that those o2s would sort have of brought you down to my level but not quite yet uh so i've got 148 drafts under my belt 40 trophies 272 to 147 win loss record for a 65% win rate. I made like two of the biggest punts of my life on stream this week and I am not happy about it. Oh no. <laughs> well, you saw one of them. You oh, saw I me. I saw one. That was so painful. procession my own uh charging monstrous or I don't know like I just just these like moments of like falling asleep at the wheel and the other yesterday I cast Stormfleet Pyromancer pre-combat. Oh no. Like a genius. It's just I was like <laughs> I jokingly, I mean not jokingly, I was like, oh man, probably just lost like lost like twelve viewers. And then someone in chat typed like, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought they were maybe joking, but then like ten minutes later I looked for their name in the in the little log. They weren't there. They oh, were 
that's so sad. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. It is tough to watch someone punt away games like that, but it's even tougher to do it yourself. Your reaction to the Charging Monster Sword play was so visceral. <laughs> it was uncomfortable to watch. I know. It's very, I'm very, I felt it very deeply. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, good, been, a, been a good week, week of Ricks. Have you done any cubing? Uh, I have done one cube. I lost in Game 3 of the Finals, and I'm kind of off of it. I just, it wasn't fun. Mm. It just feels, I think it was Sasha that I was talking to, said it just feels like you're, like, opening up your closet and like building a deck with your good cards like you know mm-hmm. i've done it so much that like you know that you can read the signals and stuff but essentially you're just choosing what deck you want to play and like drafting right. those cards and you think that's different than than vintage cube uh i just like the decks that i get to play with in the vintage cube a lot more yeah that makes sense that yeah makes sense i enjoy sure. playing with those decks so how about you have you been cubing uh i did a few cube drafts this week uh, and i think i will continue to do so the the times when it feels really bad I, mean, I think i just wish it was not a league there's something like not fun about playing against two kiki jiki decks in a league or two mono white decks in a league you know yeah but other than that I, i've been enjoying it i think more than i thought i would i was actually kind of off it and then i listened to the men from moto like legacy primer draft episode and i was like you know what that does sound kind of fun <laughs> i'm gonna go play some of those sweet yeah so it's pretty good all right well we've got a pretty sweet episode lined up for you guys we're going to be doing an extension of last week's episode drafting with a plan part two Uh, we got so much good feedback from it from our patrons that we wanted to jump into it a bit deeper and go through some things that some people thought we missed and speaking of those patrons we want to shout out some new patrons that we got this week so we do have a patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited it's a place where you as a listener can give back to the show financially if you so choose the show will always be free but for those who do want to contribute we like to give a few perks first and foremost is access to the lords of limited discord where we have so many options for you places where you can post your 3o deck lists post draft logs to review post some screenshots for some what's the play action post keeper mulligans talk about the most recent episode we've got a lot of great discussions going on in the discord and that's just for the base level you can get access to our show notes or some behind the scenes recordings for some higher tier donations Um, and you also get shout out on the show for the first week you join so we want to welcome Ben, Sam, Jethro, Dimitri, and Michael this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. We cannot say thank you enough. Super cool to have people supporting the podcast. Unbelievable. All right, so diving in, drafting with a plan part two. So what did we miss last week, Ben? Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest constructive criticism points of the episode was that Gashath, not Gashath, uh, Zakama, the other Naya dinosaur, mm-hmm. sort of catapulted us into our plan. Uh, and we didn't really have to think through like how we were getting into our plan. So I think we're going to give a little more general notes on what some of the available plans are in RIX and how you can choose which plan is right for you and the cards you've drafted so far. So just kind of early in the draft, we're doing what has always been recommended in in limited for forever. We want you to stay open and leave yourself open to as many lanes as possible. So how are you going to do this? Taking generically powerful cards like bombs and removal to start. Like we really are back to bread here. Sticking with the basics, bombs first, removal second. And then the EAD, so I I think of that as evasion abilities dudes, really kind of sort of determines how successful your plan's ultimately going to be in RAX. 
So really where where the meat and potatoes of your deck comes in is in like picks 6 through 12. And there's a lot of really key cards that go up in value depending on what sort of archetype or shell they're in. So you really want to look out for those specific cards. And we'll lay those down here for you in just a second. We were talking about this a little bit before the show, but for that ac- acronym BREAD, B and R, bombs and removal, you don't often have a lot of choices in that department. You're not choosing between multiple bombs in a pack. You're often not choosing between multiple removal spells in a single color in a pack. Um, but once you get to, to the EAD, you might have a bit more flexibility, and that's where you get to make choices that are on plan for your deck. So we talked a little bit last week about a sort of basic example of Spirewinder versus Deadeye Rig Hauler, right? Do you want that 2-3 flyer in your 4-drop slot, or do you want that 3-2 tempo ability with the raid trigger attached to it? Like, those are two different things, but are going to, like, slot into the same kind of basic place in your curve. So we'll look at, at those kinds of cards and how they're going to guide you towards supporting the plan that you're in. So why would you choose a specific plan for your deck in the draft? Well, again, a bomb is going to be the main reason that dictates a certain plan. Last week, we got passed as a comma third pick. It's a really powerful card. Want to jam that in the deck and then spend the rest of the draft building a deck that will support that card. On a more uh, uncommon level, you might get a Merfolk or Vampire Lord or Merfolk or Vampire Forerunner or the Dino Forerunner in the first few picks, and that might dictate that that tribe is open. Now, we've been talking a lot about how this format in particular is less tribal than, than maybe Triple Ixalan was, but Merfolk and Vampires and the Dino Forerunner for Dinosaurs, it does sort of lend you towards a more tribal-based deck, a deck that's going to care about creature types a bit more. But that's a pretty narrow lane to get into early, so that's a plan that you're going to want to maybe get into, but be pretty aware, if it's not open, to move off it. Especially the Merfolk Lord, because I think Merfolk, probably more than the other two archetypes, is a bit more narrow. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that can happen at the start of your draft is sometimes you don't get clear signals. Sometimes your draft starts removal spell, removal spell, removal spell, and then it's up to you to sort of choose the lane that your draft goes. And even in those removal spells, they can sort of guide you toward a lane. So for example, if your first two picks are Water Knot, Water Knot, and then you get a Luminous Bonds third, you're already thinking about maybe, you know, these removal spells have good applications with Ascend payoffs. So maybe I'm looking to get some Ascend payoffs. Whereas if your first few picks are Impale, Moment of Craving, Moment of Craving, you know, those cards aren't going to lend themselves as well to sort of an Ascend strategy. So you have to try to kind of read what um, even removal-wise, what sort of decks those removal spells want to go into. Right, so that's like getting good removal in a color and then trying to pick a plan that maximizes that removal. I think another thing that might happen early in a draft when you don't have those clear signals is you are solidly in one color and getting cards that are powerful, but only in a certain shell picks 6 through 12. So that's those are the pick numbers we were talking about earlier, about like those are the ones you want to be aware of. You're usually getting high power level cards in those first few picks, and then what comes late, what comes on the wheel is really what you want to be aware of for maybe what's dictating what your seat in particular wants to draft. So if we're looking at Ascend strategies, seeing late Sailor of Means, our boy, the three mana one four that makes a treasure, uh, Secrets of the Golden City, the one blue blue sorcery draw two but if you have the city's blessing you draw three uh snubhorn sentry also known as doggo uh, that's a single white o3 that gets a uh, plus three plus o if you have the city's blessing the sun crested pterodon that two five flying vigilance legion conquistador so all of these sort of blue white cards that care about clogging up the ground taking advantage of of flying over and protecting with the vigilant chicken like all those are really really strong cards to see late in a pack uh things 
like Colossal Dreadmaw. That's like one of the most powerful finishers available at Common. Mutiny, the Deadeye Rig Hauler Spirewinder we talked about already. Maybe in black, you're seeing some late Dusk Chargers. That's the four mana 3 3 that can become a 5 5 if you have the City's Blessing. Recover, the Raise Dead effect that draws a card. Buccaneer's Bravado maybe is going to let you know that, that a red based Pirates deck is where your seat wants to be. Knight of the Stampede, uh, that's going to maybe lead you towards deciding to go green-red or green-white dinosaurs. These are all cards that have more narrow applications at common. So if you're seeing them late, that may mean that that specific plan is open for your seat. So if you're deciding what to do and you see a late night of the stampede, I might lean in more towards, all right, maybe I want to start grabbing some Suncrested Pterodons and some Colossal Dreadmaws to take advantage of the cost reduction that the night of the stampede is providing me. And I think that's really where a lot of your edge starts to come from in RAX draft, like this late in the format, because everybody knows that Impale's good now. Everybody knows that Water Knot's good. Mm -hmm. But not everybody knows that Water Knot excels in combination with Sailor of Means, Secrets of the Golden City, and Snubhorn Sentry. I mean, I think maybe most people do. Maybe not even most people do. Maybe like half the drafters know that. But really looking to dig as much synergy and eke out as much value as you can from these commons by putting them in the right shell and in the right plan really is going to help up your win percentage, I think. For sure. Another thing that might happen is that you're solidly in one color in the draft, and you might see late cards in a color that pairs best with that color. So for example, uh, you're already green, and a Knight of the Stampede wheels, and you've already got a Colossal Dreadmaw. Picking that Knight of the Stampede up on the wheel, you know, if I'm base green, is going to make me lean towards picking red or white as my secondary color, for example, uh, because I know that Knight of the Stampede excels with those dinosaurs in red and white. Helps you cast your Suncrested Pterodons cheaper or your Stampeding Horncrest cheaper, and the mana advantage that you get from that is sort of a nudge towards showing you which color pair you want to pair up with green. So even though the two cards we're talking about, Knight of the Stampede and Colossal Dreadmaw, are only green, you're thinking about what color pair maximizes these two cards. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So there are different plans available based on color pairs and archetypes in this format. Do you want to go over uh, uh, what early aggression looks like in Rivals of Ixalan? Yeah, so I think this is a way that you can win. Obviously not one that we've been touting on the podcast, but there are, <laughs> there are decks that, <laughs> that do this. I think the best early aggressive deck is Blue-Green Merfolk. And, but it doesn't have to be built that way, but it certainly can and is at its best when it curves out uh, as an early aggressive deck. Black Red Pirates, uh, one of the best aggressive decks in the format, really requires a Dire Fleet Neckbreaker to be really good, I think. So that's two Black Red for the 3-2 Pirate that gives you attacking Pirates plus 2 plus 0. But that really allows you to leverage all your cheap, uh, maybe underpowered Pirates uh, to a lot more effective way to close out the game. Blue-Red Pirates is another really early aggressive deck in the format. It's sort of a combo deck with Buccaneer's Bravado. That's one in a red for the instant that gives target creature plus one, plus one, and first strike, or target pirate plus one, plus one, and double strike. Um, so you're trying to, in Blue-Red Pirates, be really aggressive early and then kind of close the game out by landing like a sure strike, the one in a red plus three, plus oh, or Tillinolly's Crown, the one in a red enchantment for plus three, plus oh, and trample with a Buccaneer's Bravado to kind of force through like a bunch of damage at one time. And I think there's also a really good a blue-black early aggressive deck that wins primarily through like cheap flyers, uh, kite sail corsairs, one and a blue for the two-one flyer. You're trying to leverage those dead-eye rig haulers to bounce your opponent's creatures, things like that. I think those are kind of the four headlining aggressive decks in the format. Yeah, I would agree with that, and that would bring us towards 
the majority of the format, which is flavors of mid-range. So I think one of the biggest ones and one of the uh, color pairs or pairs of a shard that we have had a lot of success with is the Esper colors. So blue, some sort of combination of blue, black, and white. So blue and white and blue and black taking advantage of Ascend, so that mechanic that cares about when you have 10 permanents on the battlefield, off the back of cards like Water Knot and Luminous Bonds as enchantment permanent removal that helps you get towards the City's Blessing, and then those colors are where you're going to get those benefits. Your Dusk Chargers turning into 5-5s, your Snubhorn Sentries turning into 3-3s, your Spire Winders becoming 3-4s, etc., etc. And then I think white-black good stuff, if it's not so, like, dedicated vampires, which it certainly can be, uh, but you can also just have less of a vampire synergy and more of a good stuff. You've got some Recovers, some Suncrested Pterodons, some Legion Conquistadors, um, and you're just sort of clogging the ground and winning through Evasion. And I think that's a key factor of all three of those Esper color pairs, is that you're trying to stall out the ground and win in the air with Evasion. Mm-hmm. And really, and stalling out the ground is what lets you get to the City's Blessing and really take advantage of those payoffs when you cast your Secrets of the Golden City and draw three cards. I also think the fact that all three of those colors have just, like, clean removal makes them very strong. Like, the fact that blue now has water knot and white has luminous bonds of pious interdiction and black has impale and contract killing like you're just getting such great removal at common in those colors it really allows you to survive through the mid to late game to win with your flyers there's also a couple of other mid-range decks uh, that are maybe a little less obvious. I think Red-White Dinos really excels as a mid-range deck. And then you're trying to kind of get card advantage through Legion Conquistadors, I think, is your primary method in Red-White. My most successful Red-White decks have like four to five Legion Conquistadors and, you know, three Suncrested Pterodons at the top of their curve. And I think Needletooth Raptor, the three and a red for the two-two dinosaur that when it has an Enraged trigger, you deal five damage to her creature the opponent controls. That Wombo combo with the red Forerunner allowing you to ping your Needletooth Raptor repeatedly to deal five to an opponent. Those have also been great. I mean, that's great in any dinosaur's deck, but for some reason, my red-white decks have featured that a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I think red-black is also another mid-range deck, and Ryan Sachs wrote a great article on this deck uh, about how to leverage recovers, etc., slow down your red-black deck a little bit, um, and really win through grinding your opponent out. And we'll link that in the, the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other flavor of mid-range here are green-based mid-range decks that leverage the fact that Colossal Dreadmaw is a fantastic finisher at common in all three packs. Uh, so that's a really good card to close out some games when you don't have access to some powerful rares. But certainly this deck will happily include any number of, of bomb rares in it as well. So we're looking at green-white dinos. Uh, we're looking at blue-green non-merfolk. Uh, so maybe it's got like a minor merfolk synergy, but it's more about like leveraging the card advantage from blue and maybe some some flying uh, evasive threats and the big dumb dinos at the top end. Black-green, I mean, recover plus dreadmod just wins games. Being able to trade that off for two creatures on your opponent's side, so you get a two-for-one there. Then you just pick it back up from your graveyard plus draw a card, you get a two-for-one there. Just You can really grind out some value with black-green dreadmaws. That's my favorite way to win games. Just having yeah. your opponent... I've had so many opponents scoop in response to recover on dreadmaw. It's super satisfying. That card is so... Because you you feel like you've put in so many resources to get rid of it. You're like, all right, I finally got that off the battlefield. Wait, what? It's coming back? <laughs> yeah. I do not blame your opponents for scooping there. And then red-green dinos, perhaps maybe the most classic of this archetype. Uh, but this, this can play in two sort of flavors. It can play like more of a beatdown role with Colossal Dreadmaw as a curve topper, or can be a bit more mid-rangey if you've got some more bombs and, and certainly more premium removal. So maybe you've got got those Savage Stomps or Hunt the Weeks and some Bombards and Lightning Strikes and, and, and so on. 
Yeah, I think there's also a multicolored good stuff plan uh, for how you. Oh, can there is. In the fo- oh, yes, I know oh, you've never is. done that in your life. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, so this is usually base blue, I think, uh, because of Sailor of Means, and if you get Prosperous Pirates in the third pack, even better. But I think this deck really relies on opening or getting past good rares, or you know, using Colossal Dreadmaw in a pinch. But you got to make sure if you put like three or four Sailor of Means in your deck, you know, that's not really helping you win the game. That's enabling you to cast your cards that are going to help you win the game. So you got to make sure you pick up an win conditions um and this really relies on evasive threats also uh similar to the things in the esper shard um but you're trying to essentially set up your sailor means and win with more powerful cards than your opponent has yeah so this may seem like well of course guys we know what the archetypes in this format are why are you going over them the reason we wanted to go over these archetypes and discuss like what the different flavors of them or the different niches of them were is because I think that really helps you set up what the plan is going to be as you navigate the draft. I mean, take for example, Ben knowing that Colossal Dreadmaw and Knight of the Stampede are going to be most at home in a green-white or green-red deck, even without having red or white cards necessarily in his pile yet. So without any red or white cards, he's already starting to craft an idea of a plan for a deck that is going to maximize the picks in his pile so far. So if you're aware of where cards are most at home, or what a certain color pair is trying to do if you find yourself with mostly blue and black cards at the end of pack one, what is blue-black trying to do? It's trying to ascend, it's trying to leverage good removal, and it's trying to win with some flyers, or win with things that care about getting the city's blessing. So how are you on track to do that? Uh, I think that's where you're going to get an edge in terms of thinking about archetypes in this way that they relate to drafting with a plan. Right. And until we'd settled out this episode, I'd never really thought about like what an archetype's plan to win is. Like I've always thought about archetypes as in like what cards go in each archetype, but not really at its fundamental core what the strategy of each archetype is for winning the game, which is a really interesting thing to take a look at, I think. So grouping those archetypes in certain categories of decks for how their plan plan to win the game is. Yeah, for sure. So we had a couple of user submitted drafts, some some patrons submitted some drafts where they felt like maybe things went a little awry or they weren't sure if they missed out on some signals and they were curious how we would navigate them for this particular episode. So we're going to take a look at a few drafts, go through the first eight picks, discuss some points where we may have gone a little different than uh, our heroes here in their drafts, but also look at after those eight picks, what is the plan moving forward? What are we thinking about? How are we actively trying to navigate this draft to get the best version of the deck? Yeah. So the first one that we're going to look at here is from our boy, Generation D20. Uh, he submitted a draft here for us. So Ben, you ready to take a seat at the round table? I am always ready to take a seat at the round table. All right. So your first few picks here, uh, you're looking at Forerunner of the Her- Heralds. That's three and a green for the three, two Merfolk. When it comes into play, you get to search up a Merfolk, put it on top of your library. And whenever a Merfolk enters the battlefield under your control... It gets a plus one, plus one counter. The Forerunner does. Uh, Raging Regisaur, that's two red-green. For the 4-4 Dinosaur, when it attacks, it pings something. And Impale, two black-black, sorcery, destroy target creature. Yeah, this is a fairly clear pick for me. I think Forerunner of the Heralds is essentially a blue-green gold card at its core. And then Raging Regisaur, obviously, is a red-green gold card. Not generally looking to start my draft off with a gold card if I can avoid it. And Impale is close to these cards on power level, if not just equal to them uh and so i'm gonna start my draft off with the black only removal spell here in impale yeah i agree with that uh pack two cards in consideration are sun crested pterodon it's the four and a white two five dinosaur with flying and it has vigilance if you have another dino moment of craving one in a black for the instant target creature gets minus two minus two until end of turn and you gain two life hunt the weak 
three and a green for the sorcery put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control and it fights target creature you don't control and reckless rage uh red for an instant deal two damage to a creature you control and four damage to a creature you don't control yeah this pick is slightly more interesting i think i would quickly narrow it down to moment of craving as an on color card with my impale versus reckless rage as like the most powerful card in the pack reckless rage keeps going up and up and up for me it's so strong and once you show it to your opponent once they really have to respect it the rest of the draft if you leave open a single red mana but i think just moment of craving is a rock solid removal spell goes right along with your impale so i think that would get the nod for me here uh just staying single colored so i think i'm going to snap up moment of craving right so 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 far nothing really to write home about we're just following the r of bread grabbing a couple removal spells staying on color which leaves us a bit more flexible a few picks down the line Pick three, cards in contention. If you've got a Sailor of Means, your boy, the 1-4 that makes a treasure. Jungleborn Pioneer, two and a green for the 2-2 Merfolk that makes a 1-1 Merfolk token with Hexproof. Exultant Skymarcher, one white-white for the 2-3 Vampire with Flying. Dinosaur Hunter as the only black card really worth talking about in the pack. That's one and a black for the 2-2 Pirate that has Dino Death Touch. And Relentless Raptor, red-white for the 3-3 Dino with Vigilance that must attack and block each combat if able. Yeah, so here I'm going to quickly narrow it down to the Dinosaur Hunter, the Exultant Sky Marcher, and the Sailor of Means. Dinosaur Hunter, I think, is enough weaker than Sky Marcher and Sailor of Means that I'm going to rule it out. I do like vampires a lot, and it's odd to me. If this were a Legion Conquistador here, I would snap it up. So Legion Conquistador mm-hmm. has obviously moved way ahead of Exultant Sky Marcher for me in the power rankings. As it is, I'm not interested in taking the white-white card here to push me into white, so I think I would settle on Sailor of Means as like the most flexible card in the pack maybe we play blue maybe we don't but i definitely like me a blue black deck yeah i mean i I agree with all of your thought process and i also think there's a slight nod too i've got two good black removal spells i know that blue black ascend is a deck and sailor of mean slots in there nicely like could already be starting to craft that plan here as well Pick four, you see the following, Dusk Legion Zealot, uh, one and a black for the 1-1 Vampire. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and lose a life. Deadeye Rig Hauler, the three and a blue, three, two with Raid, Bounce a Creature. Stormfleet Sprinter, your favorite card, Ben, one blue, red for the 2-2 Pirate with Haste that can't be blocked. Jungle Creeper, one black, green for the 3-3 Elemental that has three black, green, return it from your graveyard to your hand. And Tomb Robber, two and a black for the 1-1 Pirate with Menace. You can pay one mana, discard a card, and explore. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. There's a lot of, like, medium power level cards. uh, And then I think maybe the black cards are slightly weaker than some of the gold cards in the pack. For me, of the two black cards, Dust Legion Zealot and Tomb Robber, I think Dust Legion Zealot's a more... like flexible consistent card i've not been impressed with tomb robber on the other side of the battlefield i have yet to play it but i'm i'm never unhappy when my opponent casts a tomb robber and i don't think any of those other cards in jungle creeper Stormfleet sprinter and deadeye rig hauler are quite good enough to get me to pick a card other than a fine black card here in dust legion zealot so i think i'm going to take dust legion zealot to map match up with my impale in my moment it's also a, if we're still thinking blue black ascend it's also still another cheap creature that gets us towards ascend and replaces itself which makes our job of getting to ascend hitting land drops etc a lot easier i totally agree let's just stay on color with black we may be playing sailor we may not and between the zealot and the tomb robber i i think the zealot is a bit more powerful uh generation d20 opted for the tomb robber here perhaps his experience with the card has been different than ours um but i i, I would be inclined to grab the the two drop that replaces itself here 
Pick five, you get a Vampire Revenant. That's the three and a black for the 3-1 Flying Vampire. This has gone up quite a bit for me. Uh, I think I used to think of this much lower than Dusk Charger. And it took... It was. I credit this all to you. You were playing this way before, and I was always making fun of you. But I think this card really has... Just because of how good Evasion is, the fact that this has one toughness does not really punish you all that often. No, I think the the three powered flyer outweighs the risk of the one toughness, and then when you get matched up against stuff that punishes it, you just side it out aggressively. Yeah, uh, mutiny single red for the sorcery target creature and opponent controls deals damage equal to its power to another creature that player controls. Another jungle born pioneer and evolving wilds the. Uh, fetch land that can find a basic land and put into play tapped and famished paladin one and a white for the three three vampire that doesn't untap during your untap step and then whenever you gain life it untaps yeah so no blue cards here to pair up with our sailor the the only black card in contention here is vampire revenant which while fine in vampires is not exciting and certainly not something i want to be fifth picking um and with a sailor we already have some flexibility afforded to us and if we can grab an evolving wilds we get even more flexibility so i think we snap up that evolving wilds here couldn't agree more, and so does Generation D20. Pick six, we have an Expel from Orozco. That's the one and a blue for the bounce spell that if you have the City's Blessing, you can choose to put the non-land permanent that you bounce on top of its owner's library instead. Oathsworn Vampire, one and a black for the 2-2 Vampire, comes into play tapped, and then whenever you gain life, you can cast it from your graveyard. Another Evolving Wilds, and another Suncrested Pterodon. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. I think Suncrested Pterodon is the best card in the pack, Spell and Osworn Vampire are both fine if we do end up blue-black, but there's no reason to say we have to end up blue for the Sailor of Means. We want other more powerful cards to pair with the Sailor of Means to push us into blue. Sailor of Means is more of an enabler rather than like a reason to be blue, I think, in and of itself. And an Osworn Vampire is just not super exciting as a 2-2. I think I would settle on a, a second Evolving Wilds here, and then we can do whatever we want at this point. With two Evolving Wilds, if we play a Sailor with blue, great. We have three sources, three free sources of any color. So I think it's really strong here, and Evolving Wilds is going to afford us a lot of flexibility down the rest of the draft. Yeah, so you're thinking at this point, you're six picks deep. Nothing really has presented itself to you, right? You've seen a couple of black removal spells early, nothing much to speak of since then. And now you have the opportunity after six picks to have two Evolving Wilds, which is going to really open up the world for you when you get to pack two and potentially even pack three, depending on how color committed you get. There's a world where you move off of black with these two Evolving Wilds and you can still splash Moment of Craving. So you're not giving up on a lot of picks that you've taken already. And Evolving Wilds really allows you the flexibility to maximize high power level picks down the road. Right. We haven't really seen anything to push us into a plan. So we're trying to leave ourselves as flexible as possible to go into a plan once a plan presents itself. I think the other argument is to take Expel from Morazka here and continue down the path of I'm going to be a blue-black Ascend deck. Because I think Expel from Morazka is quite powerful and flexible in uh, a blue-black Ascend deck. Being able to pay two mana to, you know, essentially grip-tide something, put a permanent on top of the li uh, opponent's library. You can often blow them out with a combat trick or an enhancement or something. I, I think it's, or get something out from under uh, a Luminous Bond, say. I think it has a, a lot of flexibility and, and is quite good, but the Evolving Wilds is a bit more appealing to me. Yeah, I think I would like to pick up Expel once I know for sure I'm Blue Black Ascend, and I don't feel like I know that yet. Yeah, I feel like I don't know much of anything at this point, other than I've got two very flexible lands. Yes. Uh, Generation D20 opted to grab the Suncrested Pterodon, which I think is defensible, but then I wonder what, but, but I wonder what the plan is. Like, are you now trying to go black-white? Are you now trying to go 
black, blue, splashing the Pterodon. That's a, that's a lot to ask of your deck six picks deep, you know? So moving on to pick seven. We've got a few options here. Colossal Dreadmaw, the four green green for the 6-6 six, six Dino with Trample. A Moment of Triumph, single white for the combat trick to give a creature plus two plus two until end of turn and you gain two life. And Sea Legs, single blue for the aura with Flash that gives a pirate plus O plus two or a non-pirate minus two minus zero. Yeah, so none of these cards are particularly exciting. We have no green cards yet to pair with our Colossal Dreadmaw. However, we don't really have a plan yet, and it does look like with our removal that we've got so far and Sailor of Means, we're looking towards some sort of a controlling late-game deck, and you need finishers in that deck, and if you don't get uncommon or rare finishers, you've got to have Colossal Dreadmaws, so I I like locking up the first copy of Colossal Dreadmaw here. I do too. And I think also, I mean, Jungle Jungle Creeper fourth, certainly not a sing- signal. Jungle Born Pioneer third, certainly not a signal. But we saw Pioneer third. We saw Creeper fourth. We saw Pioneer fifth. There's a chance that just green black stuff is where this seat wants to be. And Dreadmaw is a perfectly great card, as we discussed when we were talking about that archetype, for that color pair. Um, so I think it's definitely better than the rest here and could be uh, our gateway into a green based uh, mid to late game deck pick eight uh, we're gonna round out this this these top eight picks fathom fleet border that's a uh, two and a black for the three three pirate that deals you two damage when it comes into play if you don't have another pirate overgrown armasaur as a nod to the green card in the pack three green green for the four four dino with enrage make a one one sapperling another dead eye rig hauler and another mutiny yeah this pick is a little less clear to me. Uh, the waters are getting a little muddy. I don't love Fathom Fleet Border or Overgrown Armasaur as cards. We certainly don't have any red cards yet, and so a Mutiny is not going to be the card to push me into red. Mm-hmm. I think I would take Deadeye Rig Hauler here as the best card in the pack uh, and maybe look to pair it with my Sailor of Means, and maybe, you know, this is just kind of a blank pack and we don't end up playing the blue cards, but I think I would just take the most powerful card here out of a pack that's kind of all filler and snap up the Deadeye Rig Hauler. Yeah, my only issue with grabbing Rig Hauler here is blue has not been open. I would agree with that, yeah. And I don't think you're playing Rig Hauler as like a splash in a non-blue deck. And I, it just doesn't feel like blue is going to be our base. And though I agree that Fathom Fleet Border and Armasaur are unexciting cards, I think I might just take the Border here and try and stick with, all right, now I've got like four black like fine cards with Impale, Moment of Craving, Dusk Legion Zealot, and now the Border, and then figure out the rest as the draft progresses. But you're right, the Rig Hauler is the most powerful card. My counter argument to that would be, I do think you're not going to miss Fathom Fleet Border in your black green deck. And I do think if for whatever reason you end up in blue, you might miss a Deadeye Rig Hauler. That would be my thought process there. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So for most of these, we're just going to go eight picks deep. But the ninth pick here is very important, as I think it's going to dictate what maybe the plan for the deck is. And that is that Forerunner of the Heralds, the Merfolk Forerunner, wheeled out of his first pack. What? Yeah. That's insane. That was one of the best three cards in the pack. Mm Mm-hmm. So not only was it one of the best three cards in the pack, but it's sort of an archetype-defining or one of the most powerful cards in a certain archetype card. So what does that tell you, one, about perhaps what your seed is trying to do, and two, about how you're going to maybe navigate the rest of this draft, assuming that you windmill slam the Forerunner, which we do. Yes. I think that's a gigantic signal that Merfolk's open, and maybe even that you should consider abandoning your black cards for blue and green cards. However, you don't necessarily have to do that. Uh, there are some jungle-born pioneers that we passed up that might be wheeling. There's a jungle creeper that we passed up that might be wheeling the green, black, gold, uncommon. So we could still be like green, black uh, with a forerunner with a merfolk sub theme. Like forerunner searching up jungle-born pioneer, casting pioneer is a strong play. You get yourself 
a 5-4-4 runner uh, with the potential to grow more with other merfolk in your deck. But I think the fact that an entire table passed up on Forerunner of the Heralds means that there's probably no merfolk drafters, so it could be safe to just try to bias yourself towards blue-green here. I think you've got a lot of options. Yeah, I think so too. So my thought process would be, and we can say that the rest of the pack does round out with a couple of the Jungleborn Pioneers wheeling as well as a Crashing Tide. So that would certainly signal to me that maybe I just want to abandon ship, no pun intended, and just go to to blue-green here. But I also think that with the powerful removal spells that we have, and with the fact that you did pick up uh, Colossal Dreadmaw, that you do have outs, right, to not just go blue-green merfolk, but you could go that green-black mid-range deck that we were talking about with the, the Dread Maw that we picked up. So that would be my plan moving forward. I, I like want to make sure, I want to figure out, one, what is my color pair? Am I going to be green-blue or green-black? But I think at this point, we're probably going to be base green with those Pioneers wheeling and the Forerunner. So moving forward, I want to know what my second color is going to be. And I want to be flexible to not go, okay, well, if I'm Merfolk, I got to be this aggro Merfolk deck, because there's certainly a slower version of the Merfolk deck that still can leverage the Forerunner. I think if it was like Mistbinder wheeling, it's different, but I think with Forerunner, you can afford to be a little slower, because that situation that you described exactly of Forerunner finding Jungleborn Pioneer is totally fine, and you don't need much else to make that just totally fine. So I think that can slot in a number of different flavors of either blue-green or that green-black grindy deck we were talking about. Yeah, very cool. All right, what do you got for me? Next draft here. This is from Phantoms in the Brain, one of our patrons in the Discord. And we're going to take a look here. You ready to take your seat at the round table? I'm ready. All right, so pack one, pick one. You see the following options. Squire's Devotion, my girl. Two and a white (laughs) for the enchantment. Uh, Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and lifelink. And you make a one-one vampire token with lifelink. Impale, two black, black, sorcery, destroy target creature. Thrashing Brontodon, one green, green for the 3-4 dinosaur with the ability of pay one mana, sacrifice it, and destroy target artifact or enchantment. And Baffling End, one white for the enchantment exile target creature with converted mana cost three or less. If Baffling End leaves the battlefield, your opponent gets a 3-3 green dinosaur creature token with trample. Uh, Again, I think like the previous draft, this is a pretty straightforward impale. These are all powerful spells, but I'm on removal first, so that's going to rule out Thrashing Brontodon or Squire's Devotion. I don't quite consider either of those a bomb. Sorry, Ben. I don't think Squire's Devotion (laughs) is a bomb. (laughs) She's bae, though. She's bae. That leads me to choose between the two removal spells, the Impale and the Baffling End, and I would much prefer the Catch-All removal spell versus the cheaper but restrictive removal spell. Yep, I agree. Impale, easy. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following options. A Sailor of Means, another Moment of Craving, the one in a black for the minus two, minus two, gain two life. A Legion Conquistador, two in a white for the two, two vamp that lets you search up other copies of Legion Conquistador. And a Sadistic Sky Marcher, two in a black for the two, two flying lifelink vampire. If you want to keep it at three mana, you have to reveal a vampire when you cast it. If not, you have to pay an additional mana. So it costs four if you choose not to reveal a vampire. Now, Sadistic Sky Marcher, maybe it's not quite a bomb, but it is higher than removal spells for me. I would take it over an Impale if that was the choice. And the choice is Sky Marcher versus Moment of Craving here, I think, is the two best cards in the pack, though all of these are, are quite good in their own right. But I would follow up with a Sadistic Sky Marcher here. This this card, unchecked, is impossible to race. It's just like one of the most powerful reasons to be in black, I think. That's interesting. I would take it over Moment, but I would not take it over Impale. But I agree, very good card. Moving on to pack one, pick three. So we've got an Impale and a Sadistic Sky Marcher in our pile. You see Water Knot, one blue blue, tap target creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. 
Sunny T, the four and a white for the two five flying dinosaur with dino vigilance. Another Squire's Devotion, a Spirewinder, three and a blue for the two three flyer. Uh, that gets plus one plus one if you've got Ascend. Another Sailor of Means, a Sky Marcher Aspirant, single white for the two one vampire with Ascend. Uh, it gets flying. And Polyraptor, six GG for the five five dinosaur with the Enrage trigger of when it takes damage. Make another copy of Polyraptor. So. No black cards to speak of here, right? There's a recover in the pack, it looks like, but there's that's not really where I want to be taking a recover, even though I do think that card is quite good. You don't need to take it third. So I think I'm on, well, then what's the best card in a vacuum here? And I think the best card in a vacuum is Water Knot. It's the removal spell. So I think that's what I'd be on here. Polyraptor takes a lot of work to be good. I'm not even, it would not consider it a bomb unless you've got like some knights and some enraged. So again, it takes a lot of work to set up. It's not quite the like build around me bomb that Sakama is. Um, so I think I would just be on the flexible, good removal spell here in Water Knot. Yeah, little to no consideration for Polyraptor for me here. I would actually choose Squire's Devotion over Water Knot to the surprise of no one. <laughs> but I do think I do think that's defensible. I think those cards are close in power level, and I much have a preference for black-white to uh, blue-black. So I'd be on Squire's Devotion there. That just seems wrong to me. So defend that in the bread, in, in our, uh, our decision to be like, we're back to bread. How do you defend that there? You can't really defend it in that acronym, but I do think it's a very unique effect. And if you're playing a game where you want to come back from behind, it's one of the only cards in the format that can let you stabilize if your life total is really low. So I think it's unique enough and powerful enough that it's on par with the removal in the set. I think it's the best white common. I think it's better than Luminous Bonds. Uh, I don't know. That's close. You've already got a Sadistic Sky Marcher. You're gaining some life there. Yeah, sure. But we don't know if we're going to be black necessarily. We'd like to be black, but it's close. But I think Squire's Devotion is, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than that I feel like it's on par power level with Water Nut. I think think you're letting your preference get the best of you here. That's possible. Certainly possible. But I would be on Squire's Devotion. Phantoms in the Brain takes a Sailor of Means here, which, you know, I think is perhaps defensible in the same way that Ben thinks Squire's Devotion is defensible here. (laughs) Ouch. Uh, (laughs) Did you hear that tone in his voice? (laughs) Listeners, did you hear that tone? Uh Uh-oh. That condescension? They get scolded after the podcast is over today. But I I think it's a departure from bread that is tough to reconcile here. Because if we're moving off color, then I want to be taking a powerful spell here. And while Sailor of Means sort of goes in the blue-black ascend plan, so does Water Knot, and it's a removal spell. So I I think if you're going to take a blue card here... I would vote for the Water Knot. I do agree with that, yeah. So Phantoms in the Brain was on Sailor Means. I think Water Knot is probably the correct pick if you want to take a blue card. Pick four, you see the following options. A Legion Conquistador, a Knight of the Stampede, three and a green for the two four uh, human that makes your dinosaurs cost two less to cast, a Bombard, two and a red for the instant speed deal four damage to target creature, and a Forerunner of the Empire, three and a red for the one three uh, that lets you search up a dinosaur, put it on top of your deck, and when a dinosaur enters the battlefield under your control, you may have Forerunner deal one damage to each other creature. So for me, I think Bombard is like maybe the most powerful card here though like if you told me that i could take legion conquistador here and be assured to have four of them then i might vote for that but i also am looking at this forerunner of the empire fourth pick as perhaps a signal and perhaps a direction for this draft it certainly doesn't mean that i have to abandon my impaler my sky marcher i can draft up that 
Ryan Sachs Red Black Mid Range Special here, um, where I think Forearm of the Empire really shines actually uh, in those those red black and red white mid range decks. So either way, if I take Bombard, I'm passing a Forerunner. If I take Forerunner, I'm passing Bombard. Bombard is certainly the more flexible card. It's more splashable. Forerunner takes a, a bit more work or sort of leads you down a more specific path. I think I might be tempted by the Forerunner here just as a well, maybe this gives me a direction, this gives me a plan to start taking rather than just taking a removal spell. But that's where I would be, I think, between Bombard or Forerunner. Yeah, so Phantoms in the Brain settled on Bombard here to go along with his Sailor of Means. For me, if I had taken Squire's Devotion, I would be immediately following it up with Legion Conquistador here uh, and be very happy about it. If you hadn't taken Squire's Devotion last pack, I like Forerunner of the Empire quite a bit. I think that's a really, really strong card. I think it's better than Bombard. Like, wouldn't you pack one, pick one, Forerunner over Bombard? Yes, I would. Yeah, that's a pretty easy way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason to take the Forerunner. So if you're moving into a new color here, you want it to be for the most powerful card in that color. And I think that is Forerunner for sure. All right, moving on to pick five. You see the following options. Sailor of Means, Legion Conquistador, Frill Despiter, two and a red for the 3-2 Dinosaur with the Enraged Trigger of deal two damage to your opponent, and a Brazen Freebooter, three and a red for the 3-3 that makes a treasure when it enters the battlefield. If I had gone Impale, Sadistic Sky Marcher, Waternaught, uh, this is a pretty easy Sailor of Means for me to lead me down. Hopefully blue-black that we haven't seen black. It's maybe a trend in these drafts, black just drying up after everyone first picks an Impale. But I would grab Sailor of Means here looking to be blue-black or blue-x Ascend, I think. I agree with that. Phantoms in the Brain also agrees and snaps up Sailor here. Moving on, pick six, you see the following options. Jungleborn Pioneer, two and a green for the 2-2 Merfolk that brings a 1-1 Hexproofer along with it. Secrets of the Golden City, one blue-blue for the Sorcery, draw two cards. If you've got the City's Blessing, draw three. Soul of the Rapids, three blue-blue for the 3-2 Flyer with Hexproof. And Cleansing Ray, one and a white for the Sorcery, destroy target Vampire or destroy target Enchantment. So if I'm on the blue ascend plan, Secrets of the Golden City is one of the reasons or one of the payoffs for that kind of deck. Um, so that seems great to me. Jungleborn Pioneer, I think, is also a very good card and could help with a, a blue-green ascend deck if that's where we end up going. But no reason to move off color and no reason to not take one of, I think, the best payoffs for being in a dedicated ascend deck in Secrets. I agree completely here. I would snap up Secrets as well and be looking to be some sort of a blue Ascend deck, probably blue-black at this point, and we're just giving up on that speculative Forerunner of the Empire that you took. Moving on to pack one, pick seven, you see the following options. Shake the Foundations, two and a red for the instant, deal one damage to each creature without flying and draw a card. Divine Verdict, three and a white for the instant, destroy target attacking or blocking creature. And Soul of the Rapids, three blue-blue for that three-two Hexproof Flyer. Yeah, this is a little uh, less exciting. I think I like Divine Verdict a little better than Soul of the Rapids in the abstract. Like, Divine Verdict is still removal, even though it's clunky. I might just take Soul of the Rapids here to continue the blue train, but I think that Divine Verdict is defensible as uh, a splashable removal spell if you end up, you know, not being able to play that Impale, if you end up, I don't know, blue-green splashing white or whatever. Um, it also could could lead you down being blue-white, just period. Especially with that, uh, you know, we had, there were some Legion Conquistadors floating around. But I think at this point, pick seven, I'm definitely noticing that black dried up. Like, we grabbed Impale and Sky Marcher and then nothing. So I'm pretty sure that black's not going to be in the cards here, and I want to figure out what my second color is going to be. So I might just want to stick with a blue card that I know could make my deck. Yeah, I think that's the only thing we know at this point is that we are blue and we're still trying to find our plan. 
and that we know that our blue cards are probably going to be best set up in some sort of an ascend style deck and i like taking the soul here as well and that's what phantoms in the brain settled on as well so moving on to pick eight you see the following options dust charger three and a black for the three three if you've got ascend it turns into a five five another knight of the stampede a sworn guardian one and a blue for the one three merfolk and a gleaming barrier two mana for the oh four and when it dies you get a treasure token so like the best card here is knight of the stampede the best card in the colors that we have if we're blue black is dusk charger but is dusk charger eight what i really want to hang on to black for i think i might just take sworn guardian or gleaming barrier here with the same logic of the soul of the rapids pick previously to just say look i know that i'm going to be blue it feels like black is not open so i don't know if i want to like waste a pick here on dusk charger on a thing that is generally filler anyway and is probably not going to make my deck at this point yeah i think i would stick with the dust charger here i mean we didn't see black but impale and sadistic sky marcher are good enough that i i'm hesitant to give up on them for a card like if dust charger is the best card in the pack we can pair them with that i don't think we're really going to miss a gleaming barrier or a sworn guardian and it's possible that you know if black was cut as hard as it was for us we're going to see black in pack two and maybe one pack of black is going to be enough to help get us there with the card quality we've already got with the impale and the sadistic sky marcher yeah, I mean, I think in the heat of the moment, I would probably just grab Dusk Charger because I wouldn't be willing to move off of Black just yet. But I wonder if that's a leak. You're right that I'm not going to miss a Sworn Guardian or a Gleaming Barrier, probably. We don't have any two drops yet. Like, towards the end of the pack is generally where you and I are looking to pick up those filler two drops because they're so interchangeable. But you could just grab one here, I think. But you're right. The Dust Charger is, is the best card. So yeah, we're looking to be some sort of... I, I think I would have navigated this draft a little differently. I'd have gone Impale, Sky Marcher, Squire's Devotion, Legion Conquistador, Legion Conquistador, uh, Secret, Soul of the Rapids. So I think I'd be pretty locked into being a blue-white Ascend deck here. I'd have moved off the black uh, a little more quickly. So that's what I would have been looking to do. I think with the cards that Phantom's in the brain and you have, we're looking to be some sort of a blue X Ascend deck. Yeah, so the pack rounds out with uh, a recover, a moment of triumph, and a pick 11 Spirewinder, which really kind of confirms that blue X Ascend archetype, I think, for the seat. So my thoughts going into packs two and packs three would be to try and stay base blue as much as possible and then figure out what that second color wants to be. I won't ignore black if it's open from the left, but I'm going to be very ready to move off it, even though I think that impale is strong. We've got some good blockers and treasure makers with the sailor. We've got a card advantage spell with Secrets of the Golden City. We've even got, if we're phantoms in the brain, we've even got a bombard, which is splashable, uh, splashable removal spell. Spirewinder is a win con, so we're going to want more of those. We're going to want more, like, things that care about Ascend. We're going to be certainly open to, to any second color if we get a bomb open or pass to us in pack two but that's that's my game plan for this draft moving forward i don't know if you have any different thoughts about that i agree we want to be blue we want more blue flying cards we want more removal and some sort of a bomb i agree completely all right we got time for one more i think yeah let's do it okay so this is from little larry sellers in our uh, discord chat here so you sit down and see the following picks an evolving wilds the fetch land and impale the removal spell that everyone starts and then moves off of uh water knot one blue blue for the enchantment aura tap a creature it doesn't untap during its untap step and the godfather of all splashable bombs tender shoot dryad four and a green for the two two that makes a sapperling on each upkeep and then if you have the city's blessing sapperlings you control get plus two plus two yeah, I for some reason at the beginning of the format, I thought this card was not a stone cold bomb because it died to every removal spell. Turns out lots of the removal spells leave it on the battlefield and it's just <laughs> like all it needs to do is go unchecked for one turn and it's very, very strong. 
you're just slamming Tender Shoot Dryad here, but worth noting that it's super splashable, so it does not mean you have to be green. So it's a bomb that's going to go in probably whatever deck we draft. Right. I made a note here. I think that unlike Chupacabra or Tetsamok that make me feel incentivized to like force black or maybe when I'm looking at two cards, if a black card is slightly below another card, I may take the black card in favor of wanting to be able to support double black for Chupacabra or Tetsamok. This does not do that at all. I want to make sure this card ends up in my final build, but it's so splashable. So what kind of deck are you looking for? Even with Tender Shoot, pack one, pick one, you already probably have a game plan formulating. What kind of deck does this want to go into? Yeah, we want to go in some sort of a deck that's going to ascend uh, because mm-hmm. this doesn't, but although this helps you get to ascend, so you, don't, its own, basically. Yes, you don't really need to be focused on getting to ascend, just some sort of a mid-range or a late game control deck that's going to let me live and draw my Tender Shoot Dryad and cast my Tender Shoot Dryad. Yeah, so some sort of mid-range control deck to survive to cast it and win with it. All right, pack two. You see Squire's Devotion. Do I need to read any of the other cards? Uh, you probably should. I just, I've passed a Squire's Devotion or two in my day. Not often, but it happens. Yeah, right. Uh, so we got a Squire's Devotion, a Jungleborn Pioneer, an Impale, and your rare is a Kumena's Awakening. That's two blue-blue for the enchantment. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, each player draws a card, unless you have the City's Blessing, in which case only you draw a card. Yeah, everyone's going bonkers for Kumena's Awakening. I feel like Kumena's Awakening is not, it's better than Secrets of the Golden City, but I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's that much better. You instantly get the three cards with Secrets of the Golden City. The game has to go on for quite a ways before Kumena's Awakening is better than Secrets of the Golden City. Secrets is also way more flexible. Like you can just fire off Secrets as a divination on turn three. Yes. Kumena's Awakening is stuck in your hand because you don't want to play that. You maybe play it and there's like a turn where your opponent gets that draw. If you give them more than one draw with this card, you're doing it wrong. I agree completely. So I, I'm not in love with Kumena's Awakening as much as the rest of the world is. I think for me, I would narrow it down to Squire's Devotion and Impale. And believe it or not, I would actually take the Impale here over Squire's Devotion. I think the Unconditional Removal spell is enough better uh, that I like it here. I agree. I think it's one of, if not the best common in the set. I'm, I'm now on Impale over Impale 1 over Moment of Craving 1. Yes, we got him. Yeah, it fits with the tender sheet plan and that it provides something that helps you survive to cast the Dryad. And if I think if it weren't here, I would take Jungleborn Pioneer as a like, that's also on theme with tender shoot. It's helping you ascend. It's providing blockers to protect you to the mid to late game, yada, yada. It's on color. I think I would take Pioneer over Commandus Awakening. Interesting. But you take Pioneer over Squire's Devotion? Yes. Oh, that hurts my heart. Okay. Oh my gosh. All right. Our hero, Little Larry Sellers, took Kamada's Awakening here. I think his, his thought process seemed to be that he was focusing pretty heavily on Ascend. It seemed like he had this idea of, I've got Tender Shoot Dryad, so I want to take Ascend Matters cards. And I think the, the trap there is that Tender Shoot Dryad is, a pl- is an Ascend plan in and of itself. You don't need to take cards that also care about Ascend to make Tender Shoot Dryad better. It's going to be good on its own. Yep, for sure. Pick three. You see a Spirewinder, a Deadeye Rig Hauler, a Raging Regisaur, that's the red-green uncommon dino, and Arch of Arazka. This is the rare land that taps for a generic mana, and if you have the City's Blessing, you can pay five and tap it to draw a card. Yeah, this is an interesting pick. There's not a good option no matter what route we've taken through the, the draft so far. So either we've got, if we are Little Larry here, we've either got Tender Shoot Dryad and Kumena's Awakening, or we've got Tender Shoot Dryad and Impale for us. Arch is a fine card, but I've just frequently not found room for colorless lands in my decks. There's a lot of demanding color requirements in this set, even in a two-color deck. So I think I'd just be looking to take the best card here, which is 
Raging Regisaur. The green matches up with our Tender Shoot Dryad already. Uh, we still have options to play like green, black, splashing the Raging Regisaur if we pick up something like an Evolving Wild. Um, so I think I'm just looking at that. Maybe we play it, maybe we don't, but not a great option for us here regardless. I think Raging Regisaur is a fine option here. It's a fine follow-up. I mean, it's a little awkward with like Reggie and Pale, but you could really end up in like green, black, splashing red. That's not a tough spot to end up in. No, that yeah, that's what we'll be hoping to do taking it here. But I think we're also very willing to move off of that. Yeah. All right. Two two things I want to say. One, I want to. I've just been thinking <laughs> as you've been talking. I'm just thinking about what I said for back two. I would take Squire's Devotion over Pioneer. Uh, that's, yes. That's, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Okay. Uh, second, I want to talk about what we said about Tender Shoot Dryad in the first first pack or first pick, which is that we're gonna play this almost like 99 percent of the time when we take this pack one pick one. This is gonna make our final deck, maybe even 100 percent, because it's so splashable. And so because it's so splashable, we could end up base green and have no trouble casting it. We could also end up in two other colors and need to devote some slots in our mana base to casting it. So an Evolving Wilds and two Forests or whatever. Arch of Orozca becomes quite awkward in those decks. Like if you're red-white and you need a way to, if you're red-white mid-range or red-black mid-range, that's where I sort of like Arch as like a source of card advantage in a color pair that has trouble getting card advantage. But as soon as you get to three colors... Your mana base is getting stretched, and you're probably not going to have access or time or room for a colorless land. So while Arch of Araska does have City's Blessing on it, it's a rare, right? Now we get we have a third rare in a row that cares about ascending. I don't actually think it's on plan with Tender Shoot Dryad, surprisingly. No, I agree with that completely. All right, pick four. You see a Hunt the Weak. That's the, the three and a green fight spell. A Bombard, a Reckless Rage a Colossal Dreadmaw, and a Mausoleum Harpy. That's four and a black for the 3-3 three, three Flyer. Uh, if you have the City's Blessing, when a creature you control dies, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. So uh, if we're navigating the draft, our direction, we've got Tender Shoot Dryad, Impale, and Raging Regisaur. And then we see a bunch of good red and green cards here in Hunt the Weak, Bombard, Reckless Rage, and Colossal Dreadmaw. Mausoleum Harpy pairs up with our Impale, but after picking up Raging Regisaur, we haven't seen tons of black since that Impale, like nothing in pick three. I think I'm just looking to take Reckless Rage here as like one of the best removal spells in the set and looking to maybe go red green or at the very least red splashing green i still think we've got lots of options here and reckless rage is a super powerful card yeah i love this reckless rage pick for multiple reasons about like yeah great if we end up green red perfect if we end up green x we can still pretty easily splash reggie and reckless rage if we end up red x we can pretty easily splash reggie and tender shoot dryad I know we're only four picks in, but these are the sorts of things you want to think about. I think, like, what would your deck look like? And what are the different permutations of that deck that can exist with the cards you have? That's the sort of plan you want to be thinking about. And I think that uh, that Reckless Rage really gives you a ton of options. Yeah. Pick five, Thunder Herd Migration. That's the one in a green rampant growth effect. You search up a basic land, put it into play tapped. But you have to reveal a dinosaur when you cast it, or it costs one more. Uh, Everdon Champion, one white-white for the 2-2 with protection from combat damage. And Pride of Conquerors, one and a white for the instant. All creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Or if you have the City's Blessing, they get plus two, plus two instead. Yeah, those are fine white cards, but not enough to make me jump into white here after what we've got going on. We're already trying to potentially juggle three colors, and Thunderherd Migration is a great ramper and fixer. We don't have any dinosaurs yet, but certainly will let us... We sure do. We do. Oh, we do. Yeah, that's right. We have Raging Regisaur. Yeah, thank you. So we have Raging Regisaur. Even if we didn't, I still think the flexibility that Thunderherd Migration offers makes it the pick over the white cards here. Yeah, for sure. 
Pick six, Overgrown Armasaur. That's the five mana, four, four with Enrage, make a one, one Saprling. Hardy Veteran, one and a green for the two, two. When it's your turn, it gets plus O, plus two. There's a Mutiny, a Frilled Death Spitter, and a Foul Orchard. That's the black, green, uncommon, tapped dual land. Yeah, this is another close pick here, right? There's filler red and green creatures. There's a foul orchard that could maybe keep some sort of a splashing playing the impale that we took dream alive. However, our curve is looking pretty ugly at this point, like Mm -hmm. not a curve format, but you do need two and three drops. I think I'd be looking to abandon impale at this point. We haven't seen great black. There's no black here. So I think I'd be looking to pick up hardy veteran, like to pair along with our raging register and Tender Shoot Dryad, lock up a two-drop. Party Veteran also excels with any Hunt the Weeks we might pick up, whereas Frilled Despitter does not quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'm leaning towards the Hardy Veteran here. Yeah, as much as I want to keep that Impale Dream alive, and as much as it also, like, once you pick up a Foul Orchard, let's say we do end up green, black, splashing red, that Foul Orchard sort of counts as both a black and a green source, which frees up a spot for a mountain in the deck say so i don't think it's the worst to grab here if you're feeling like i don't know what combination of these jund colors i'm gonna be um but i i think i just like grabbing hardy veteran here it sort of solidifies you a bit more in one color leaves you fewer decisions down the line i think pick seven uh you grab a plummet that or you not grab but you see a plummet uh that's one in a green for the instant destroy target creature with flying a recover and a form of the dinosaur have you played with this card I have not played with or against it yet. Oh, interesting. Uh, so this is, uh, I think, not highly contentious, just like most people have agreed that this card is not good and can be played in some decks. I've brought it in against aggro matchups because I feel like I like the idea of being able to just gain 11 life when it comes into play. Uh, this is four red red for the enchantment. When it comes into play, your life total becomes 15. And then at the beginning of your turn, you like basically you like, kill target creature and that creature deals damage equal to its power to you. So pretty dangerous clock. It's not a may ability, um, but I think that card is certainly quite powerful, but probably not worth discussing here. Yeah, so I think it would be between Plummet and Recover. Recover is great with a bomb like Tender Shoot Dryad, but I I really don't feel like we're going to be black. We, again, don't see any real black cards. And Plummet is a fantastic sideboard card in green. Green often struggles against flyers uh, unless you've got these good sideboard cards. So I think I'd snap up Plummet here, and we know we're playing green of some sort because of Tender Shoot Dryad, so I think it's a nice safe pick. I think in green, black, and green, red, I'm so often, unless I get a crushing canopy or cobbled wings, I'm pretty inclined to main deck plummet in green, red, and green, black. Yeah. The pack is going to end here. Uh, pick eight with Cherished Hatchling. That's a uh, one and a green for the 2-1 dinosaur. That when it dies, you may play dinos in your hand as though they had flash. And then when a di- when you cast a dino from your hand, it gains. It may fight target creature and opponent controls. Shake the Foundations. That's two and a red for the instant. Deal one damage to all creatures without flying. And you draw a card and another Suncrested Pterodon. Yeah, this is a tough choice. Suncrested Pterodon is obviously the best card in the pack. Uh, we could be some sort of Naya Dinos. We haven't taken any white cards yet. Cherished Hatchling, if we had just taken Hardy Veteran, locks up another two drop. I don't think Cherished Hatchling is great. I think it's mostly a one and a green two one. But if you need a two drop, what does the job? And maybe you get some random upside in a Dinosaur's deck, mm-hmm. uh, which we might be looking to be here with the Raging Regisaur and the Thunderherd migration. So I think I would just take Cherished Hatchling here and bite the bullet and not take Suncrested Pterodon and try to solidify myself in green and figure the rest out in the upcoming packs. 
I think so. Little Larry Sellers took Recover from the last pack and Suncrested Pterodon here. And I think, unfortunately, this is uh, an example of a draft going in maybe too many different directions for the sake of a fairly flexible rare. Pick 9 is going to show a Knight of the Stampede coming around, and I'm going to pick that up and hope to solidify into Green X, probably Green Red if we had taken the Regisaur and the Reckless Rage. And then the things that I'm thinking about moving forward are that I can be moved off red for a powerful bomb in the next pack, as we already have Thunderherd Migration for fixing, and we're in green, so we're going to have access to Drover of the Mighty and New Horizons in the last pack, as well as Evolving Wilds and Traveler's Amulet in pack two. So we're going to be able to to splash around, so I don't need to necessarily decide to be green-red, but I think deciding to be base green going to the next pack is going to help focus the draft and focus on what you what components you need, right? We know we have some powerful cards already with a Tender Shoot Dryad and a Raging Regisaur. So what other things are you looking for to support those powerful cards? We definitely want some Colossal Dread Maws for sure. Yeah. Like at least two Colossal Dread Maws we're looking to pick up and any removal spells we can. But I think the getting the Knight of the Stampede ninth is a big signal that we're supposed to pair green with either white or red probably mm-hmm. and look to try to maximize some dinosaur synergies. All right. Well, that was super fun. I really enjoyed getting to go through those drafts that y'all submitted from the Patreon Discord. It was really, really great to like look at those drafts from that angle, as you said, like looking at like drafting not only cards for an archetype, but cards for an archetype with that archetype's plan in mind. I agree. This is probably going to be it for us for Ixalan. So uh, as a little goodbye to the format here, uh, we're going to take a look at our most drafted cards. So let's count them down from five to one. Okay. My number five is Sun Crested Pterodon. Uh, my number five is Secrets of the Golden City. My number four, Evolving Wilds. My number four, na 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 Batman Spirewinder. <laughs> my number three, I drafted a lot of this card, Colossal Dreadmaw. That is surprising. I think you might be one of the only people with that in their top five. I think it's a really strong finisher. No, I mean, I, I ended up in like the Abzan color shard quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, my number three was Legion Conquistador. My number two, I'm so ashamed <laughs> this isn't number one, Squire's Devotion. I tried so hard. That's so funny because my number two, I am also ashamed, is Sailor of Means. Edged out by three cards from my number one. And my number one? Legion Conquistador. And my number one was Suncrested Pterodon. Pretty incredible. Those uh, Sunny T's and those Legion Conquistadors cracking our top fives. Yeah, I mean, they're both rock solid and white was really, really deep. But we didn't have, and we didn't have those pegged. I mean, not that that, like your most drafted cards pegged as uh, like correlate to good cards, but we didn't have those either in our top three white commons at the start of the format. No, it was very unapparent to me looking at the spoiler, how good and how deep white was. Like, I remember thinking when I looked at the spoiler that white's commons looked very mediocre. Mm-hmm. And I think just as the for- the way the format panned out, lots of them ended up overperforming. I'm certainly going to look back at this format fondly, and I'll look forward to when they uh, flash it back on Magic Online in a few years. Draft some Sailor Means, crush everybody. Oh, man. I can't wait for Sailor to get a reprint. That'll be my, uh, that- that'll be my first uh, preview card for sure. <laughs> so next week... We're going to have our Lords Limited patented Crash Course episode for Masters 25, which will be launching on Magic Online the following week. So we'll have our, our stats, our primer, we'll have some top commons for you. Really looking forward to that Masters set. Yeah, going to be sweet. 
Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And we've also still got the treasure hunt going on. Just this morning, Generation D20 <laughs> tweeted at us. He added 700, that's right, 734 mana with Sanctum of the Sun today. He got to live the dream with the Sanguine, Sanguine Sacrament loop, so the white-white X sorcery gained double x life and put it back on the top of your library so he was looping that and then generating exponentially more mana each time he looped it and eventually timed out in a blaze of glory trying to get his life total as high as possible his opponent was such a trooper for letting him just like spin his wheels like that uh it's amazing i pulled up twitter this morning and just like laughed out loud i did not expect that to happen yeah, so still going on. Uh, if you get any of those achievements crossed off, submit them to us. Uh, we've got the 15-hour stream on lock. Looking to do that in the last week of March. We're going to pick a day, and we'll let you guys know once we settle on a day. And if you've got uh, those screenshots, send them to us on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Metronome. Ethan is at Lord Tupperware. You can also send us screenshots at thelordsoflimitedgmail.com. If you want to come spam our Twitch chats, please do so. I'm streaming at twitch.tv slash lordtupperware, where I promise to stop making as many punts as I have been. And Ben is at twitch.tv slash mrmetronome, where he promises to draft Squire's Devotion. Yes, will be happening <laughs> confirmed. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. See you later.